What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius here with episode number 116, and I have Telmo Silva, CEO and co-founder of Click Data On. And Telmo is a University of Toronto engineer graduate with over 30 years of experience in software development and implementation. He has led design and implementation of enterprise data transactional and analytical systems in over 40 countries for companies in the retail and pharmaceutical sectors. He co-founded ClickData in 2008 with a focus on health and pharma analytics, which was launched in 2015 as a multi-sector, cloud-based data management and BI platform. So in this episode, Telmo discusses why they chose Microsoft Azure, how to decrease bad data protection habits, and the risks and challenges of moving to SaaS and cloud. Let's get right into the episode. Welcome to the Gumbo, Telmo. How are you today? I'm doing great, Demetrius. Thanks very much for having me over. Absolutely. It is an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Let's start off with a light question here. What is Click Data? Because I am sure the Gumbo listeners are just itching to find out about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Click Data is a data management and BI platform. Um, you know, BI is a very loose term, but as you know, it's, it encompasses a lot of different facets of getting to the data, uh, transforming the data into valuable information, and finally visualizing it and sharing it with the team, the, the clients, the employees, and so forth. Um, where we uh, have kind of made our ground is uh, we wanted to build a platform, an extendable platform that allows you to do all those uh, parts within the same platform as opposed to buying different tools and building interfaces and keeping everything within one cloud-based platform. Again, we have uh, an extensive use of, of, of use cases, anything from retail to pharma to health. But in essence, just think of it as basically a BI and data management platform. Hmm. Okay. BI and data management. So data has been said to be lots of things these days, uh, gold, oil, like all different types of commodities. I've heard uh, about that term data. Why do you think that companies forget about the best practices and you know develop what's called bad data protection habits, especially when, when they move to the public cloud? Do you, do you mind giving me your perspective around that? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I do think that uh, you know software has a lot to do with that, and that's caused a lot of those issues. And I'll give you a, a couple of examples. In my previous life, I before Click Data was born, and I had this idea of building this 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 platform. Um, I would go around implementing uh, data warehouses. Uh, I would implement data visualization tools. Uh, work with the teams building the interfaces. And one thing that frustrated me quite a bit was a few months later after an implementation, I would go back to the customer or to, to the employees and ask them, so how's the new data warehouse working for you? How's the new BI platform working for you? And I say, well, it's great. I just go here and I click export and I bring my data to Excel. And I go, hold on a second. We built all that system. Uh, all those systems together, we put all that platform together for you, for you to export it into Excel and take it away with you on your laptop. Is, <laughs> is, is this really yeah. what we spent millions and of dollars and time? And I think in that sense, 
what you know their reasoning was well you know i'm not able to get exactly what i need i uh, i need to also mix this data with other data that you know this system doesn't have it it's, so there would always be great reasons to uh to take this data and put it on an excel and that to me represented the risk just as high as or potentially even higher than the risk of potentially moving to the cloud so the fact that it's cloud or not cloud i don't think it's the biggest risk in terms of data security. I think that one of the largest risks of data security is how do we handle the fact that users, um, business users, need that data accessible. They need that data uh, within their uh, within their their laptop, uh, and how do we give them that in such a way that it is secured and it's always uh, managed centrally? And I think that is that is important to to understand that I think cloud can be a benefit in that sense, which is. Uh, if the data resides always centralized, but always available from any laptop or computer or, or mobile device that you have, then the security uh, around that data can be uh, such that is actually higher than before. So again, it's the use habits more than the infrastructure or the network com component of it, in my in my view. Okay, so you, you mentioned an example of exporting that data and having it on the laptop and especially now, Telmo, as a result of the pandemic and there are a record number of people still working from home, and you and I both know the security aspect of um, everyone working from home and having to log into a VPN. And then you mentioned ransomware, where someone clicks on you know, a link or something that they're not supposed to click on. And next thing you know, they have been fished and the systems are all infected not telling how long um, if someone infiltrates the system how long they're going to sit and do some reconnaissance and you know wander around the network etc what's your perspective on um, just protecting against things like ransomware or phishing attacks you know what, what's your perspective there no, absolutely. This is, uh, you know, it's even before COVID, ugly data, we have a remote workforce and, uh, you know, uh, there's always been that concern as to, you know, how do we fight against those type of things? How do we, how do we maintain security across all systems? And I use this term internally quite a bit, the weakest link. I always, um, you know, I've always found this to be the, the, the worst case scenario. And when you have an infestation of a virus, and I, I remember back in my old days where I had a nice network to take care of, of uh, 200 computers, and as soon as I would finish cleaning up the virus, it would spring up some other computer that I would have to start over again. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a thankless job and it's almost an impossible job. Um, and I think it all starts with training. At least here with Click Data, the first thing is training. Um, people will, will do a lot of things uh, that are potentially not right. Opening emails that they shouldn't, uh, install software that they should not, um, uh, potentially change settings in their in their in the software that uh, maybe we you know they were not controlled centrally, and that will cause a, a weak link to to appear uh, in our in our infrastructure, and uh, you know as simple as somebody being able to access uh, one email or two emails that can provide information to uh, then access something else, something else until finally they'll have some credentials to access uh, large databases and so forth. 
So, or, or potentially install ransomware software. Um, so one of the things that, that, you know, I think in fact kind of helps is the fact that at Click Data, we have actually no servers, no, no data centers. Uh, it's fully remote. But still, you know, that changes nothing, whether you're cloud or, or, or whether you have it on-premise. Uh, the fact is, again, one week link is enough for somebody to get into our cloud environment and, and start changing things there. It does not change that. So I think training is a huge component of it. Uh, the second one is obviously implementing control mechanisms, uh, control mechanisms of auditing every three months, uh, employees, uh, you know, habits in, in monitoring uh, what they've installed, etc. But in a conversation and also in a in a pedagogical way to train, as opposed to punish and and actually say, well, you should not try new software. You should try. You know, we have a very uh, intense team here in terms of uh, trying different things. They they love to try new software, so we can't stop innovation uh, just because of, of that as well. Okay. So yeah, uh, mostly training is is my my first focus. Yeah, yeah, a absolutely training and making sure education is the top priority because if if you don't provide the information to your let's say your employees that hey, you know th this is how security looks, you know this is phishing and this is a bad link and this is this is what actually uh, makes you vulnerable you know uh, education is always an important thing and you also mentioned about you know you have no servers and you know you, you're not running in your own data center you have i guess you have your your system is running in the SaaS platform so software as a service and um so what where, where are you running your system can you tell us a little bit about uh, maybe not how it's architected in the background, but you know, you know which which public cloud that you chose, and and why did you choose that cloud? And also, I guess maybe some of the reasons that the Gumbo listeners should be cognizant when they are considering running their workloads right. in, in the cloud. Absolutely. Now we we run on the Azure stack, Microsoft Azure. Um, now we've selected Microsoft Azure not necessarily because of. Uh, not only in terms of pricing and, and other factors which should go into your normal analysis of picking a provider or a supplier of, of hardware or, or services, but uh, mostly because our stack was .NET, it was SQL Server. So it, it made sense for us to be close to that vendor because he's also the, the vendor for those technologies. But again, our stack could run on Amazon, it could have run on Google, it could have run on bare metal for all we cared. But uh, again, we picked that mostly because of the presence internationally, uh, because again of the technology stack, and also because uh, again, we we were selected at the time, uh, we were selected as a, a Microsoft venture partner, and we felt that you know it was a good partnership for us to go into. Um, having said that, you know, picking one over the other, you still need to do your due diligence in terms of ensuring that, you know, uh, just because they're saying, well, you know, I'm providing you database as a service. Okay, fine. But what are the limitations? What are the security around? How often do you back up? When do you back up? I mean, you still have your own workloads and your own use cases uh, of using that technology. And you shouldn't just, you know, go in saying, well, that'll be a Microsoft Azure problem or that will be an Amazon. They'll take care of that. Don't ever take their word for, you know, this is my advice for anybody, even customers coming to click data said, try it, test it, you know, do your due diligence with us. 
um, before you pick our technology. And it's the same thing that I that I do with the suppliers with Azure. You also need to make sure that what they're saying is is in reality what what's happening behind the scenes because you have very limited visibility uh, behind those doors, right? Uh, which is a good thing, security. But uh, from a supplier standpoint, sometimes transparency is is worth just as much, right? Also, let's let's keep the conversation around software as a service because it's it's a a really hot uh, thing that's happening right now. There are a lot of companies still still moving data and moving workloads into the cloud and utilizing software as a service as well. So so one thing about the rise of SaaS, it it's it's hot as I mentioned, and also. I guess the question that that I really want to know from you is why is SaaS such a a great move for organizations that are going to the cloud? So why why even move your data or your workloads into the cloud? Well, that that's a great question. I mean, we did we we moved uh, our platform. Um, I shouldn't say we moved it, but we we had a first early versions of Click Data were not cloud-based, they were not made for the browser, they were not necessarily made for the browser, they were not necessarily made to be hosted by us and provided to our customers as a service. Um, what I found out quickly from a software development point of view is that my release cycles were gonna be very slow because every time I had to push new features and we wanted to push features rapidly and fix bugs quickly, uh, we had to go to different customer environments and fix those issues individually because they would be at different versions, because they would be a different, uh, using different modules and so forth. And that model failed very quickly with us uh, very early on. Um, so then you have to start thinking, okay, how do I do this in such a way that is centralized that the application is centralized. That when I make you know positive fixes and, and improvements to the application, all my customers benefit from it immediately. And that's really where cloud to us, software as a service specifically, kind of came in and and was the right time. Uh, you know, two thousand and 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 eight, two thousand ten, Salesforce already kind of tested the waters with cloud and uh, and their slogan, no software, uh, which is kind of silly, but uh, it is software. But, uh, you know, it kind of, uh, they opened up the road for BI as well to be a, a platform. So when we thought about that, we said, well, that's the right, the browsers as well were aligning, you know, Apple was saying no more flash, uh, every, you know, Microsoft dropped Silverlight, so everything was going to HTML5, whatever that meant at the time. But, you know, so there was this union of, forces on the browser on the front end that says you know this is the right software model for us from a technical perspective not necessarily from a commercial perspective but you know it went along with a subscription service okay fine you know that that's just that's just the outcome of our initial decision i think that is the biggest advantage for the customers is that they don't have to worry about the upgrades the features the improvements uh, that they get these on a regular basis without thinking about you know uh, without having a lot of effort on their part notwithstanding they still need to test the new features and test the changes but um, at least it's not something that is relying on them to do something 
Uh, and this is especially true when it comes to security and patches, right? I mean, nobody wants to leave these things unpatched for a long time, right? It's just opening the door. So again, the faster we can deliver those fixes, the better it is for the customer. Okay, so I guess you touched on this a little bit, and this is just around security. And maybe let, let me tap into some of the risks and challenges of you know moving to SaaS, a SaaS-based model, uh, and also moving to the cloud. What, what are some of the other uh, risks? I guess maybe besides security, but maybe that's the biggest one is that people think about when they consider moving moving their data and moving some of their workloads to the cloud is that, oh, it's not secure, but it's probably more secure than your on-premises environment because you know some of these public clouds, uh, they have tons of security features and I think they may they may do it better than you can. So what what do you think is I guess maybe some of the other challenges around, you know, moving these workloads and sometimes people mention agility and cost and oh it's cheaper and all of that but you know what what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm not sure if cost is is definitely an advantage or not. I mean, it's a little bit uh, the difference between do I buy this car outright uh, or do I lease it? You know, uh, one would argue one versus the other, and it depends on the deal you get and so forth. Um, uh, also, you know, do not think that just simply by moving to the cloud and moving your workload to the cloud, especially if you have an older legacy system that, um, you know, uh, whatever cloud provider you pick, that they're going to upgrade the hardware for you as you go along. Sometimes they don't do that because there are compatibility issues. Here I'm thinking a lot in terms of legacy systems that use a specific database version, and you can't move off that database version until, you know, you fix the application, and there's nothing you can do about that. So there's a lot of... Um, challenges in moving specifically legacy systems. Now, there's the other aspect of it, which is, okay, I'm a company and I currently use, you know, software XYZ. Um, but if I go, you know, to the cloud and move, you know, I have my option of moving that software to the cloud. Well, I'm just transplanting a server from on-premise to cloud. Is that a big deal? Well, it may not be a big deal, but now you also have to think about your client and your server relationship there, right? I mean, you're not going to move a legacy application to the cloud, increasing the bandwidth distance between you and, and your server and still using a very thick client. Uh, your users are going to be frustrated easily as soon as the work goes. So a lot of technical, uh, you know, especially with legacy applications. Now, the other path you can take is to say, well, I'm not going to use XYZ, but I'm going to get on a new version, you know, which is 100% cloud-based and SaaS offering, etc. And then there's a different side, which is, okay, we need to migrate data. But that is just a normal evolution of upgrading a new version. You have to migrate data. You have to implement a new version. There's new features and new training to go along. Uh, so it, it's a different scenario. That scenario also has its own risks. Uh, people thinking, you know, hey, let's get Salesforce and, and run our CRM on the cloud. Yeah, but, uh, you know, before you had this other software that you had full power and full access to the database, and now you no longer have that. You To get your data, you have to use APIs. And is your data more locked than others? Um, do you have that flexibility? Some systems allow you to really get into your data again as if you was on-premise. But others put these layers of APIs and security and things in front that may require you as an organization 
to have to build those those skills internally and to and to you know to 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 get to your own data which is kind of you know <laughs> it's my data why can't i get to it right so that's that's kind of the challenge there of moving on that other path so you know listen there's challenges either way you pick but um ultimately i would agree with you uh if i was to put any on-premise network from any uh, let's call it non-technical business uh, and compare their security and their uh, standards and their uh, facility to uh, the facilities of Amazon and Azure where their business critically depends on them being kept safe and secure, obviously uh, uh, replicated and, and, and high availability and so forth. I would pick those suppliers anytime over on-premise. Okay. Absolutely. Ding, ding, ding. You have the right answer. <laughs> um, yeah, and you you mentioned thick clients and, and legacy and you know just traditional. Um, you know, back in the day, back in the day, now is actually what 15, 10, 15 years ago. It, it's not long ago. It's not. The technology has changed and shifted so much that it is primarily night and day uh, as the way companies are running their uh, their application stacks and their software and their infrastructure is just it's a new world just around that thought you know are, are you also use utilizing any of uh, the microservices that they have out there like kubernetes and you know any any of those type of platforms have you guys considered that or are you are you not uh, doing that yet? Now we are doing our own uh, kind of cooking. At the time when uh, you know Docker and all those things came out, they were very interesting for us um, as a way of scaling it up, uh, especially scaling uh, around our customers. We have customers in in over sixty countries in the world, and you know the workloads are quite different um, between one region. Uh, second, secondarily, we need to maintain data. Uh, in within a region, right? So in the US, we have data centers of Azure, Canada, in, in Ireland, in Netherlands, in France, in Germany, and the workloads on each one is, is completely different. So having some kind of a, a, you know, a concept such as microservices, uh, such as, uh, uh, you know, the Docker concept of virtualization or virtualization for that matter is very important to us in terms of scaling up, scaling down very quickly uh, on demand, et cetera. Uh, the challenge we found with that is, you know, there's there's always there seems to be these kind of uh, diverse paths in terms of adoption, in terms of those technologies, and there's one path which is, um, you know, uh, very uh, Unix, very very um, you know Docker as a whole, you know, almost made for Unix uh, in the sense, um, but you try to use Docker with .NET environments, and it's only recently that Microsoft has really invested in .NET Core to be able to be multi-platform. Um, you know, they've really come a long way from their Windows only uh, you know mentality to being more open to have you know Unix subsystems and things like that. So it's um, it has changed. The, the, the landscape has changed, and uh, we unfortunately are not able to take full advantage of that just yet. But we're hoping that without having to rewrite our old platform by using .NET Core and similar technologies, we can now start taking more advantage of those other things that we uh, like that you were mentioning, Kubernetes and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, that, that's great. And you know, I guess if you, if you want to be nimble, then you you have to tap into some of the microservices nowadays and just it's a completely different world the way you build 
uh, software and you build your, your entire infrastructure nowadays is completely different. Um, you know, another question that I have for you as well. So you mentioned storing data in different regions and, you know, whether you're in Europe or Canada or the U.S., you know, compliance and regulations, you know, that's that's a really, really big thing. And laws like GDPR and right to be forgotten. And, you know, there's a whole long list of compliance and regulations and laws, et cetera. Do, do you have any, I guess, recommendations when it comes to data residency and, you know, making sure that your data complies with, with the regulations of, you know, staying in that region and choosing and selecting the right partner or client to work with, et cetera? Because it's a, it's a bit challenging to try to figure out, you know, hey, where is my data? Um, how can I access it? Is it in the right region? Am I complying with the right uh, laws? Absolutely. It, it is a challenge. It's, it's a huge investment, time, money, people. Yeah. So, you know, we have, and, and for us, it's a double edged sword as well. Because on one hand, uh, we offer a BI platform data management where customers can store their data in complete confidence and security. Uh, so we have very strong protocols in terms of us accessing that data. If our employees access that data is in order to support the customer with their questions um, or in providing services uh, to build dashboards or, or items as such. So how do you have that? And, and at the same time saying, well, we're not going to look at your data, so we don't know what you're going to put in there. Is it is the GDPR compliant? Well, we don't know. We're not responsible. We gave you a software. We gave you a bucket, uh, basically. And what you put in that bucket is, is, you know, you have to make sure that you were obeying the, you know, the, the laws that oblige you uh, to follow, to be followed by uh, in using that data. Um, the second thing that makes it hugely complex is, is you know, for small companies and medium-sized companies for that matter, is how can you keep abreast of all the changes in the laws that are happening across the entire world, especially if you're a multinational or international company? Um, you know, we're trying to, to keep tabs on HIPAA compliance on the California Protection Act, GDPR, Brazil, GDPR, uh, you know, I mean, you name it, there's so many. So we could literally spend millions of dollars in just having a full-time consulting company or auditing company, making sure that we abide. The third challenge that we have is a, is a mis, uh, misunderstanding of what those are. Um, is HIPAA compliance a law, a regulation, or is it a, a, a process uh, implementation? And what is the responsibility between the vendor and the person that, that actually uses that data, right? GDPR is the same thing. There's the data processor. Right? Are we responsible to, to make sure that their data complies? Um, but if we uh, ensure complete anonymity of the data and security, we're not allowed to know what that data is. So how do, how do we manage that, that, that dilemma? So a lot of challenges there, and this requires us to keep, uh, basically keeps you know, a couple of people here at Click Data busy pretty much year round to make sure that you know, not only if, if it is a law and, and a regulation that we are within those regulations, if it is a compliance that we assist our customers in achieving that compliance, because sometimes it's just, again, about education uh, of what something is and isn't 
um, rather than, you know, oh, it's written in stone that it's, it must be this way, right? Great, great answer. And uh, I, I, I loved exactly what you said about um, there's there's quite a, a different ways that you can actually spin it and, um, you know, setting up, setting up the technology and, and actually there's so many different regulations that you have to comply with. It'll, it'll definitely, you can set a consultancy up and, and spend millions of dollars to have someone, you know, just try to comply and, and configure, configure your systems that way. Um, let's go ahead and, and close out with a final question. I want to take you back all the way back to security. I think that's the best way to close out and get your recommendations around, uh, let's say, multi-factor authentication and zero trust architecture and immutability. I'm sure you've heard of those terms. Yeah, absolutely. What's, what's your perspective on those? What do you want to leave for the audience? Well, uh, the first, uh, I, I would love to put a challenge out there to the audience. Um, I, I would love if somebody could come up with some kind of a system, a software, uh, a device that I would never have to type in a password in my life ever again, yet would be 100% secure. Because frankly, it is uh, it is uh, a huge challenge for us. Two FA, in essence, added a new level of uh, of comfort, I believe, to uh, at least our organization. Uh, so much so that we decided to implement that in our uh, in our service, in our software for our customers, and we offer that included uh, some soft some. Some vendors offer that on a paying basis. We offer that as 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 part of the uh, of the standard because we do believe security uh, is not something that you need to pay for. It should be inherently built inside every single system. Um, I I do believe as well that people need to to start using a centralized password managers that make it uh, easy to have uh, different passwords for every single system but yet easy for the user. I think that's the best we have these days uh, until somebody else comes along. Um, I, I do believe there's a lot of other processes that um, you need to look at your company holistically and kind of say, where, again, where are my weakest links and what do I need to solve? For us, it was the number of passwords. It was the fact that uh, we did not have 2FA. We decided to implement that very quickly. Um, and we even implemented a third level, which is uh, you know Slack integration for confirmation of who you are. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do that don't cost an arm and a leg, but that will uh, definitely double up on, on your security. Uh, it, it will make it definitely easily, you know, a lot harder for kind of men in the middle attacks and, and, and uh, intercepting and even social hacking uh, simply because you have that other device or that person or that IP address or whatever that will guarantee that you are who you say you are. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of things there to, to look at. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of blogs out there that, and, and podcasts that they can listen to and, and pick and choose the best ones for their company. Okay. Okay. And I, I honestly have one more question because earlier you, you mentioned Salesforce and now you mentioned Slack. There was an, an acquisition that happened <laughs> and you, you said that there's, I guess you guys have an, an integration with, with Slack. Um, we have an integration with both those companies. Well, now they're the same company. You're right. <laughs> and and what does what does that integration look like? Just I'm just curious myself. Well, um, I don't want to speak 
ill of Salesforce. I, I do no. find, <laughs> I do, I do find <laughs> that they've they paved the road for many many companies. Um, but Salesforce is is a quasi oracle. Um, their acquisitions of mm. Tableau, their acquisitions of Slack, are are obviously um, interesting. It really depends. You know, I find these type of acquisitions sometimes. Uh, the reasoning behind it is really what, and typically you'll see it two, three years down the road, whether they've acquired it because of their customers, whether they've acquired it because of the technology, or whether they've acquired it because of the people behind uh, the software. So we'll see what that is going to look like potentially in about two years' time. Um, I do hope that Slack and Teams, to a certain extent, they're both wonderful. I think they've changed a little bit the landscape of communications internally um uh and and i think there's room for even better uh, than those two solutions uh i don't think they both have weaknesses and strengths i think what uh salesforce i it's one of those technologies that makes very little sense for me to, why did they acquire it i understand it but um but you know, it's no different than, for example, Microsoft acquiring LinkedIn. is just it's one of those acquisitions that we'll see potentially down two, three years down the road why they really acquire them. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I appreciate that perspective uh, on on the acquisition. What I was really getting at was your ah. integration. Ah, my integration. Slack. Well, yeah, like ah, my integration you, with Slack. You, yes. you mentioned a security component with Slack and verifying yes. if that person is who Correct. they say they are. Correct. So what we do is, in addition to uh, 2FA on uh, uh, for all our staff, uh, click data, in addition, what we've implemented is we've implemented a, a, a direct message to your Slack, uh, to your Slack channel or to your, to your DM to, uh, to say, you're, uh, you know, you wish to, you're trying to log in from a new IP address. Is this really you? So there's uh, there's an additional. Additionally, at the same time, there's a message being sent to a general operations channel that's being monitored by the operations team, saying so and so is trying to access from this IP address with a geolocation, and that gives an ability for us to say, okay, something is not right here, right? Uh, I know this person; they were supposed to be, you know, in the U.S., and uh, this is coming from another country. What's going on? Um, are they traveling? It's possible, right? But Again, it's 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 think of it as a third and fourth factor, if you will, for us internally, um, and it's dead easy to use because Slack is always there on your mobile. You can just say yes, it's me, and you know that response. You know, uh, it, it's it's an additional safety factor for us. Okay, well, awesome. Do you you mind providing, I guess, a way Gumbo listeners can reach out to you, whether that's on social media or LinkedIn? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is probably the, the best way to search for Telmo Silva. Uh, there's not that many Telmo Silvas, so <laughs> well, maybe there are. I don't know, but uh, but if you search for Telmo and click data, you'll surely find me on LinkedIn or on Google or somewhere. Um, okay, but that's my my primary channel. All right. Well, Telmo, definitely it was a pleasure having you on the show, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have to help me give this show a title if, if you think of one right off the top of your head what what would you name this this podcast episode i'll say uh, brainstorming on cloud and software as a service i don't know uh, something okay. like that okay yeah. I, that, that sounds you good know? to me I, and <laughs> maybe maybe i'll add something fun and quirky in, in the title as well i don't know I'll that would be great demetrius looking forward to hearing it all right well telmo it's been a pleasure having you on and you have a great rest of your week you too take care bye
Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.